The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Good evening. Welcome to This Must Be The Place for um, for this particular instalment, which I guess is, what, late July? Mid-July. Mid-July. Well, well you can say like early July. By the yeah. time it goes up, like tomorrow, it'll mm. be late July 2017. Mm-hmm. My name's David Nichols. I'm a Senior Lecturer in Urban Planning at the University of Melbourne. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. I'm a Research Fellow, Postdoctoral Research Fellow at RMIT University. And we are sitting outside ACME, joined by... Uh, Rebecca Clements, I'm a PhD candidate at University of Melbourne. Are these guys present or we pretend they're not here? This is... Well, my name's Trent. I'm a librarian at the University of Melbourne. <laughs> my name is Casper. Besides knowing everything about parking, I'm also uh, uh, in, in transport optimization. So we are here at Federation Square outside of ACME because we, with the exception of Casper, have just watched a film called... Uh, was it Jane? Citizen Jane. The Battle... Four cities, yeah. and uh, let's just launch straight in. I think it's a very nicely made documentary. It's a beautiful looking film, don't you? Yes. Don't you agree? Mm-hmm. I think um, they've they've totally they maximise their their archival footage. Uh, great colour when they had colour. Things looked amazing. I think that's that's the first thing I would say. From my point of view, and I I don't know what uh, you know. I'd be very interested to hear what you guys think about this. I didn't feel like I learned a thing. But let's see what, what you thought. You are a, like an urban planning history professor. I know, I know, so. I know, <laughs> I know, I know the story. The story is, it's a very, in that sense, to me, it was quite a basic story. But, you know, a beautiful film and really nicely, nicely done. I mean, so I guess it takes an hour and a half to tell that story. It's kind of like an undergraduate planning course, a few sections of it compressed. Well, some of it is like an undergraduate planning essay. Yes. But yes. <laughs> but, but I want to know what you guys thought. Did I learn anything? Um, well, I learned that Marissa Tomai voiced Jane Jacobs. <laughs> I learned that at the end. Rebecca thought it was a robot. I'm so. still convinced it was a robot. <laughs> I just can't believe that was Marissa Tomei. Well, some of it was actual uh, her voice, but yes. there were times when it was reenacting. I wrote some notes down here. Uh, I learned that Jane Jacobs wrote eight further books other than the death and life of great of and so what other books were there I don't know she wrote books about economics ah. I, I know that I know oh, of yeah. her, she's got at least one very famous economics book that even I have heard of yeah. I don't other, know yeah. but that's not what's eight eight books I learned uh, that part at the start where she was a journalist and she wrote for architectural what's it called forum uh, I thought it was whatever yeah, maybe you're right yeah, yeah um, I think so but, where she'd done a piece on the design of manhole covers. Wasn't that great? I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> I didn't know that. That slightly chilled me because I thought, that's something I would do. <laughs> Does that mean like, this is a type? So I did learn that. Um, I was also, this is not so much in the category of learning, but I was surprised to hear, you know, when Robert Moses, so for those who aren't, Robert Moses was sort of nemesis in the film, the, um, what was his official title? He had the, many official titles. Hmm. I mean, he, had, he, he was... Notoriously, he sort of found himself uh, in numerous uh, sort of 
he was he was never voted into anything. He just found himself at the as the chairman of various boards and so on. He was mm-hmm. able to uh, wield power. He was a man in the know. He was totally you know he's an, he was an operator I guess uh, yeah so he had lots of titles. So him New York plan yeah. man that he spoke in such a cavalier way in a way that like nowadays someone would say as an insult that you would speak like that mm-hmm. and he actually mm-hmm. spoke like that. He, he said, well, a, people oppose me and just get him out of the way. That's he was a bully like. for the people. Mm. That was his that was his thing and I think that you know if if you he obviously thought that he was absolutely correct and he used that metaphor which is so common in urban planning in the 20th century you know that it's a cancer you know slum uh, slum housing or you know degraded housing is a cancer that needs to be cut out you just cut it out which is actually uh, in fact in many instances not even true if you've got cancer you don't cut it out necessarily you have other ways of dealing with it but nobody seemed to think about that at the time uh, so he was a bully for the people and he was just one of those uh, crash or crash through guys and he was straight talking and you know those kinds of people I think you know if they're if they're absolutely right and if you believe they're right then you're kind of you get pretty, pretty excited about hearing them talk. One of the commentators said that before there were two Robert Moses there was pre-war mm. he was more or less an angel he said and then rather generously summarized that post-war slightly more problematic. Yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes and there is a lot of I mean there are there are books that sort of celebrate pre-war Moses, uh, the work like the swimming pools and the, the other things that, that he facilitated that are um, you know, beautiful, beautiful pictures of beautiful looking 1930s buildings that, that apparently he had, he played a part in. Maybe that was like his internship work, you know, like the way that a lot of very wealthy and powerful people do a lot of charity work in yeah. their high school days and he's like, yeah, now I'm where I actually want to be. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, you may be right, but it was positive that he was corrupted by power and mm. that that also makes sense and like but, you said he believed in what he was doing i'm sure yeah. he believed in what he was doing and he's also you know you'd have to say responding to the world that he saw around him like the the quite plainly in the post-war era uh and a lot of people still feel this way you know the the motor car where the motor car was was going that's where you followed yeah. you know? and that's mm. what was uh that was what was going to make you know, make the shape of cities going forward, and I, you see that time and time again. I, I don't. I mean, I'm not an apologist for Robert Moses. I don't see any any value in that in particular. But uh, I think that there's a you can you can kind of understand him, and you can understand both those both sides. There. I think it's wicked in a way to be a victim. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and Robert Moses was absolutely powerful. He wanted to wipe the slate clean, start all over again. I say that you have a cancerous growth there that has to be carved out. They covered um, freeway building uh, and some specific projects, so it was Lower Manhattan Expressway. The Bronx, the footage of the Bronx, cross Bronx Expressway was quite Bronx shocking Expressway. to me. I think that was a part I had not seen that before, that was really, I, I heard audible gasps. Yeah, I, I gasped. Uh, at that, it was just this huge, like all the spaghetti junctions and yeah, like that. Yeah. So that's quite. And then we had a lot of talk about housing. You know what they call the projects. Yeah. Um, this is one thing that I was a little not as sold on, I suppose. So a lot of the premise of of her book, I suppose, and and the film and its, its sympathies with her work is about you should look at things from how people actually live in them and um, respond to how that is. So when they're talking about 
organic streets, they do that. But then we're talking about people living in public housing, they always do it from the outside and just say they all look the same. And they're gross and we're yeah. going to have to blow yeah. them up, which is kind of the same thing. Yeah. Though, anyway, that was my slight concern. Well, who, who around the table has seen the Pruitt-Igo myth film from a few years ago? Yeah. No. Like when I, when when they they went to Pruitt-Igo as an example, like Pruitt-Igo developments in um, sorry St Louis, when they went to that as a uh, an example, I was like, yeah, okay. So pick the worst case scenario mm-hmm. that in some ways has also been uh, it's also been demonstrated through another like really good like, and and similarly really beautiful film, yeah, um, beautiful looking film. You know, the to blame. You know, I think in a way that there were a lot of other factors. Exactly, and there's a lot, a lot more complexity to it than that. Exactly, yeah. it's the environmental determinism argument. I think mm. is wrong on everybody's, you know, whoever uses it. Yeah. So Prudigo is like notoriously the end of the. It was the end of modernism when the Prudigo uh, apartments were blown up. Is the is the story when they were destroyed? That's like that's the end of that dream. But the the film the Prudigo myth goes a long way to showing that to blame the construction of those buildings for uh, for the problems that were you know inherent in the, that area uh, is really to avoid and ignore a whole lot of other problems that are you know really all about inequality in America yeah. and and discrimination and uh, racism yeah so there's there's it, it's a much more complicated story it's certainly and f- to come back to this film it's like a million more times more complicated than the story of Jane Jacobs is a nice clever, articulate person, and Robert Moses was, you know, a man corrupted by power. Mm. I mean, there's, apart from anything else, there's 10,000 other people involved in, in that story. And it, you, you can see why films need to do this kind mm. of thing. And it's very, it was very, very affecting, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah. it was, and it was very effective at what it was trying to do, and it was, it was that, it, it was that narrative that it, that it was selling, and, and there's a lot of truth to that, but then, as you say, there's that, there's that other nuanced version of the truth as well. And the music, the I music was a bit I over know. the top. The music, I thought, was, was bullshit. I thought that when we saw, like, I loved, like, a lot of the modernist buildings that we saw. There's quite a lot of stuff that I thought that's actually pretty good looking. I saw something, and and literally, I had in my head like, I'd love to live there. Like that looks yeah, really cool. Yeah. And then the <laughs> ominous music comes on, in the, you know, over the top of it. I've got to say, the Lower Manhattan Expressway, that that vision of those those buildings, like crowding around that, that expressway. I thought, well, look, I don't know. I've never seen anything like that, and that is extraordinary. I don't. Mm. I was sort of probably 25% repelled and 75% attracted. Because they look like kind of uh, crazy blocks or something, right? Yeah, like totally. Like triangular. Yeah. What are those sticks that stick together? Anyway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some of us... It's yeah. like a kind of but in a manner, or something. In a manner of speaking, there's some resonances of the serious buildings in Sydney, for instance, which is mm-hmm. you know similarly very tall, slightly jarring but mm. but also um, really um, effective and interesting it's like a lot of things where it ends up blaming the as you as you're getting at it's more to do with inequality it's more to do with the fact that they Fully. were ignoring existing context and they were yeah. they were ripping it up and they were and you know as, as Liz implies they were they were openly uh, dismissing any argument that was coming from the people who lived there and just saying it was a cancer and get they should move they should go yeah. they're just renters who yeah. cares etc I thought yeah uh, some <laughs> of the gender stuff in it was just satisfying to watch yeah. in hindsight yeah. and so it you know it, it, that that ends up that narrative ends up being put on the on the design or the size mm-hmm. or the form of the building perhaps unfairly but well, I mean that's one of the things that 
I feel like you know it's, this is me it's, got, it's really more about me than anything but the but once again I'll be interested to hear what you guys think I'm like sitting in that cinema with people kind of you know scoffing or, or chuckling or whatever at like particular you know gotcha moments I scoffed you know, like, and chuckled yeah would like to <laughs> I mean this is like like we're smarter than people 60 years ago mm. you know we're, we're better than them in some way we know more than they do mm. I don't know. I just I, I felt like it was a little bit too satisfying for people. Yeah, and I think I, you said that just yeah. a second ago, Elizabeth. It's like it is that kind of you know, and that that helps you ignore the complexities of, of the, the situation that's put people through. Oh, I agree. Element of laughing at the past. It's like m- movies should be shown, and then you should see some critiques of the movies afterwards yeah. to to add a bit of something to it. It is Maybe hard. The way. It is hard to put any of these stories in the movie and have it still be compelling. I suppose. I will say again. I think as a piece of filmmaking, I thought it was extremely effective, and I thought it was very. It really looked great, and I think that the um, the people involved are to be commended for assembling that, the story. And there's certainly there was nothing in that movie that I thought, oh my god, you're ridiculous. How dare you say that? I guess it was. I did feel like there was some corners were smoothed over. Jane Jacobs has written a book that advances with the power of a bulldozer against modern city planning and rebuilding. She is the antennae that's picking up something here that no one else is seeing. She believed the city is not about buildings, the city is about people. She was questioning orthodoxy at a time when women were not welcomed in those environments. She was a housewife. That's how they treated her. Try to mess with a bunch of mothers outraged about a road going through Washington Square and we were going to save Washington Square. Anyway, I'm saying too much. I want to know what you I guys did, think. I mean, to reiterate your point about the visuals, one of the things I enjoyed the most about it was how much effort they'd gone to to find a lot of archival footage that was sort of, sometimes it was just related, but it was always really appropriate for mm-hmm. what they were talking about. And yes. it was just I was really impressed with, with the extent of archival footage, which I is uh, fantastic. I, I will say that when, like, right at the end, we got, and there's, there's some really beautiful contemporary stuff as well, mm. and right at the end, when we suddenly, we, we move into China, and so the developing world, and, and what I suppose you could still sometimes call the third world, mm. suddenly we didn't get any, any subscripts on the screen. We didn't get told what we were looking at. It was mm-hmm. just like, Oh, and this is the rest of the world, not yeah. America. This is, you know. I was going to ask your opinion about those sort of contemporary shots. These were some of the parts where I was uncomfortable about that view on onto public housing or high-rise housing. Where at the end there was some comment like, "How could anyone live like this?" And I was thinking, "Why well, not them? They live <laughs> yeah. there." Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh, also use that classic slums of the future um, mm-hmm. line. Do, do you think that that? You know, having the big urban challenge people at start and end added much or helped? Because I, I, you can tell from the nature of my question, I wasn't really sold on it. Well, once again, I, I do believe the G word, by which I mean gentrification, was not uttered once in that film. True. And, you know, some stuff that I've done has... Not, I'm not saying that. I'm not a, it's not an original thought of mine, but I have sort of dwelt in that area a little bit, the kind of... Uh, studying when when articulate middle-class people uh, go out on a limb to to speak on behalf of the preservation of particular areas uh, what is their motivation and and whose service are they working in and I mean my actually I I have a namby-pamby answer which is I think they're often 
they're in the service of the community to a great degree, but they also happen to be doing quite well for themselves in many instances. And what a you Namby Pamby answer. Is it? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> what exactly is a Namby Pamby? I was just waiting to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would say sim- similarly, or some crossover there at least, I actually watched it and was newly, um, I haven't actually read Jane Jacobson since I was an undergraduate and I would have struggled to summarise her arguments so I was like oh now I get it again and I was impressed by the kind of argument about complexity in the sense that you shouldn't plan from above you should look at how people actually live and, and so on so whereas my memory of it from an undergraduate was like oh aren't inner city neighbourhoods great or something like that and, which is and I, I totally agree with that point and, and a lot of the I feel like maybe a year ago or so there was a lot of new criticism of Jane Jacobs and, and people talking about gentrification and whatnot and there's there's a lot of uh, you know there was a lot of, of, of argumentation at that time that was really really valid but I, but I always sort of thought there's an, there's something here which is people critiquing their memory of what she said rather than critiquing what she actually stood for and you know there's certain things that that we associate with Jane Jacobs that have been really, really pulled and concentrated and taken away from what her actual lived experience yeah, was. That's correct. And, and her uh, um, her role as an advocate, and she really did, you know, she cut through some bullshit there without a doubt. I think that, um, and the other thing which, which I was kind of doing, which was sort of saying, well, uh, and people have used her work to, to do things in their own interest. That's yeah. not a criticism of her, really. It doesn't make her wrong. Mm. Well, it doesn't make her right, but it doesn't make her wrong. It's just, you know, it, it kind of, it shows, apart from anything else, that her ideas and her book has, have kind of purchase and they have resilience over, over time. It's been mm. 50-something years that, mm. since that thing was published and it's still um, extremely influential. All of my classes are full of eyes on the street, you know, to the point where I almost go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, <laughs> I know. But it's true, it's still true. Uh, in terms of legacy, a lot of it does... This is probably reflecting that I need to reread it. It often does seem to get distilled to preservation, which is almost as... Is there not a kind of similarity to this idea of getting rid of something? If focusing on preserving an area how it was is, hmm. isn't really the same as, as um, well, keeping it alive. That kind of... I mean, that kind of... That's a perversion of the original idea in the mm. sense that, you know, if, if the... If those kinds of old communities, if those you know, hundreds of years old communities are so innately uh, excellent and uh, sort of resilient because they're resilient because they're resilient, then they should just they'll just be resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to. I suppose you need to preserve them in the sense that you uh, you don't want to like move them with a bulldozer and destroy them. Mm-hmm. But um, let's face it, a lot of those places, and I think Soho, New York, which was being. Uh, held up as an example of something that's been preserved well that has that's not what it was 50 years ago yeah but that's what like Eleanor Roosevelt was saying she was saying I am in favour of change I'm not against change but you don't come in with a a bulldozer you know you are and I always listened for when they ask people for their um, the priest and somebody else their opinion on the um, uh, on, on the projects they always the first thing they said was the neighborhood will be destroyed it was always the word that they used mm. and, and you know like that's that's what they were doing they weren't changing the neighborhood they were they were literally getting rid of it so yes. you know, it's it, it's just that question of degrees like it was too far it wasn't change it wasn't iterative change it wasn't 
adaptation, it was removal. Well, you have to bullet through, you've got to do it. The expressway will destroy the neighborhood. I think this awful thing, they're making me sick. It is not right. Jane Jacobs was the most articulate voice of a movement. Please, we have to move a lot of people out of the way of a big housing project. The people who rent, they don't own it. What are they going to do, throw them in the street? After 51 years, I'm citizen and everything. Where was this going to end? Take the money and go away. What would we have left? People have to insist on government trying things their way. They didn't make anything of this in the movie and I'd like to know more about it. The, apparently, uh, I gather that a few, maybe it was in the 70s, Jacobs was involved in designing some housing in, um, in New York, I think. Uh, and she, you know, it was, it's been described as semi-successful. I'd like to see some of that and get a better sense of what that looked like and, and how it operated or didn't. That would be a really interesting notion that um, if she actually felt that... Because I think she talks, uh, she has talked a lot about this is stuff that's come together organically. I've got to hate that word in this context. But uh, it's come together organically and once it's gone, it's gone. Well... So is there a way, and I'm thinking, you know, the British New Towns is one thing that really springs to mind, you know, in Britain in the post-war era, uh, and also in the 60s, there's a, you know, a lot of, um, there's no choice, a lot of places have been just been demolished, they've just been flattened by bombs or whatever, uh, and communities are moved polis bolus to new places, like they're, it's the whole community, it's like, all your neighbours are still going to be your neighbours. Mm. You're just going you're to be in a different fit. place altogether. So you're going to have this uh, culture together. Uh, and uh, so in that sense, the people aren't going to change. The place is. Mm. And uh, yet, I mean, it's... And there is a, there's a mixture in those kinds of situations of uh, a little bit of high-rise, but mainly low-rise buildings. And I, I guess there's an attempt to remake community in... Um, in those places. I mean, I guess it's different in lots of ways because the British uh, in the post-war era saw themselves as somewhat homogenous, at least at various class levels. So that's a different that's a different story. Whereas I think Jacobs, for instance, in Manhattan is saying, you know, uh, diversity is part of the thing and it's people from very, very many different backgrounds. And um, we see that really quite, that great footage of the Italian clearly um, old Italian community in uh, lower Manhattan that's terrific that's terrific stuff so that's kind of a different thing to the notion that um, you know of a the notion of a cultural a culturally homogenous working class yeah. nevertheless there are some uh, there are some issues there I think that aren't really addressed about you know how do you then how do you preserve a community or how do you preserve community per se well, you, you can neighborhoods be transplanted like it, it would have been nice perhaps if they could have found a way to get at that nuance mm. to say it's not just it's not all of these aspects of this situation that are terrible and mm. um, you know hellish mm. but it's but this is the specific thing you know it's here are circumstances where moving people works out well and and you know they they find it a better option than you know, like if it's a community that's threatened by a disaster and there's a really serious need to shift them, you know, they probably want that, they probably can appreciate that. Because taken to an extreme, it's to say that because this plan wasn't as effective as, as the yeah, organic uh, community, therefore 
anyone that doesn't have an organic built environment will just die. Yeah. Like, it'll be the mm. worst thing mm. ever. We mm. shouldn't bother trying. Mm. And, um, you know, it's a kind of helplessness that maybe is unconstructive in, in some cases. That's the difference between that extreme attitude of, of planners are always wrong and I guess what she, what the orthodoxy she was pushing against in, back in the 50s and 60s was this idea that planners knew better better than anyone else. That's mm. not to say you can't, you can't ever start afresh, you can't build something um, and that you're, a new environment can't be something that people enjoy as well. And absolutely, yeah, and, and I suppose one thing I always try to push with my students as well is that it's not like the people on the street are correct, you know, inherently, mm. but it's that you shouldn't have something that is dismissing that point of view completely. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. all of these things need to be taken into account. Change so, of vantage point, which yeah. was a good point. Enough. They didn't, notably, although they had a lot of the, yeah, scary new world sort of idea of uh, urbanism that bookended the film, you know, China and India, they didn't revisit Soho today, did they? They didn't touch it. That's <laughs> very, totally correct. Why do you think that was? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. That's right. No, and, and I, I actually sort of slightly related, I go back to the point that you made earlier, I think, but um, yeah, we don't see what people, like, it is all about outside footage of people looking out their windows. It's not anything, there's nothing about what, what are their lives like in there. Even when it, even when it comes to Pruitt-Igo, mm. which was, you know, the Pruitt-Igo film, the Pruitt-Igo myth has a lot of um, interior stuff and that's that's one of, that's some of the most fascinating stuff and the way that those buildings were designed, really, really interesting. They were designed for uh, communication within the buildings and so on. Um, so that was quite fascinating. But uh, the this movie, yeah, it's really... You know, in that sense, almost by, by definition, superficial. It's about, you know, uh, it's sure, there's like, there's the sidewalk. There's a lot of interaction on the sidewalk, and we see a lot of that uh, in archival footage. Uh, whether it, what it really proves, I'm not entirely, whether it proves anything, I'm not entirely sure, but it looks good. It's and to it's, see that I felt like it added in terms of your seeing what she probably saw and trying to, rather true. than just a description, you can look at it. That's true. And I, I did appreciate that they had some quotes from people who, other people who lived there, and they were giving their testimony That's at correct. the same time. So I, I would have liked a bit more of that. I remember at some point they were talking about the women, like a specific group of women that, that were, um, you know, involved with her frequently, yeah. I suppose, and I really wanted to know about them. I first began looking into city planning and housing. It was unbelievably awful. Insane. We didn't understand how high the price was until Jane Jacobs came along. Uh, my one observation I'll make, not about the film per se, was that, I mean, this film, Citizen Jane subtitle, Battles of the City, showing an acne several times, but even just in this one screening, I looked in and it was like, oh, there's Ruben, there's Ian. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the audience of, of planners and people we know. I literally yeah. walked here with somebody from the conference I was at because we were both going to the same showing. Yeah, yeah. But would you guys recommend it to planners or non-planners? I totally, I, that's, I mean, for all of the criticisms that we just said, I really like how accessible it is and I feel like it's a good, it's a good, good entry point into the story. So I thought it was great. <clears throat> exactly. I would, I don't know if I'd recommend it to planners. I'd recommend it to lay people mm. who didn't know anything. I think I was that's a fabulous. It should be shown in yeah. Berg Street. Exactly, yeah. it's a great first step 
in, in examining those issues. It would be wonderful if someone could make something similar in Melbourne, for instance. Mm. And um, it would be, there have been, there have been radio documentaries that, that have touched on similar things, but, uh, and there's, there were some movies made in the 70s, there's one about Willa Maloo, for instance, that's, uh, you know, a fascinating piece of work, but it's contemporary. Uh, and um, finally, uh, Trent, what do you think? As the lay person in the group, yeah. uh, great curiosity builder. Yeah. Um, I think we're trying to establish her as an icon, and for the lay person, this is new, and hopefully, it does that. Okay. Great wrap up. Excellent. So, thank you. You've been listening to This Must Be the Place.